look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You? Outdressing me again. It's sweater Saturday. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and you didn't get the memo. You and your yeah. jacket and stuff. If you're stuff. watching online, I'd love to hear from you again about how much better dress I am than Faisal. So much better. It brings a pocket square <laughs> on a Saturday. Who does that? Come on. You've got to be civilized about yeah. this. Clearly. Keep it civilized, my friend. <laughs> With that beard? You call that civilized? <laughs> Neanderthal. <laughs> Anyways, we've got a good show today, my friend. Well, we're going to talk about how civilized the markets are going to be in 2020. Yeah, what kind of risks there are, how much risk are you should you be willing to take right. if you want to be exposed to the stock market. Right. That's going to be a very interesting conversation. We're going to talk about what happened in 2019 and what should we be worried about in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so when we bring that guest on, it's going to be very interesting. But also, he's going to talk about a couple things as, as risk. One is the coronavirus. Yeah, we're, yeah, for sure. You can't ignore it. Um, Okay, so let's talk about risks. Let's okay. let's talk about the uh, a bit about the week, right? In terms yep. of what's what's happened, because the the common theme there's an emotional theme running again through the um, through the conversations I'm having. Okay, okay, we'll get back to coronavirus in a minute. But so, how long have we been talking about coronavirus now? A couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Before that, started the year talking about end of the year. Started with Iran. Iran. Yep. Okay. So I, I can't tell you it, it's. The headlines, again, we've talked about this lots, but there's a news headline that comes out, and this coronavirus happens to be the one right now. It ran before that. But it's emotional. It's driving these emotional conversations. What do we do? How do we deal with it? Yep. What's going to be the next one? Who knows? But three weeks, six weeks from now, eight weeks from now, we'll be talking about something else, right? We're never devoid of risk. Yeah, so there's always going to be some sort of big topic, and so the fear kicks in. Um, when we talk about like the coronavirus, I think the concern is, can this be widespread? But it, what's interesting about this virus, and, li- and listen to the rationale or mm-hmm. the emotion. Mm-hmm. That's better. The emotions happening here in Calgary. People canceled their, their reservations at some restaurants in Chinatown because of the coronavirus. Right. That's the reaction. Right. So how do you expect if a business owner in Calgary is going to lose business because of some virus not even in Calgary, how do you think the markets are going to react? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to see it. Um, you and I debate and chat and ranter back and forth about a, a number of things on a regular basis. You know, one of the things, I've been doing a lot of reading about uh, the coronavirus. Now, listen, I'm not a virologist. I don't know where this is going to go. Nobody really does, okay? But you can look at SARS and, and the comparisons and the kinds of viruses and what SARS did. And then I was just, I was curious and doing some reading around just the common flu. Right. Yeah, just to see what impact uh, uh, the flu has, because we get it every year. Everybody seems to look past that. It's not classified the same way. It doesn't get the same headlines. But the flu is pretty serious stuff worldwide. A bad flu year, I think it was seven, seventeen, eighteen. I think it was seventeen, eighteen, or eighteen, nineteen. Don't quote me on exactly, but um, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen in yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the flu affected something like forty nine and a half million people worldwide. Yeah. It's a serious killer every year. Yeah. Right? Hospitalizations are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. But there's no major economic damage. There's no no fly zone. There's no... I know. I know. That's the difference, Dave. This is, no, it is a difference. It's a huge difference. So the fear of, of the flu 
is not going to impact the markets or the economy as much. In fact, it might even help the economy. I agree with you. Okay. A hundred percent. So when you have this now a state of emergency pretty right, much right. by the World Health Organization, right. and they come out saying it's, it's spreading, and now you've got cruise ships being quarantined, and you've got it's never been quarantined for a flu. I agree. You're getting all these different pieces coming in. Fear will lead you from not doing business. Just ask the, the Chinatown business owner what just happened. Well, this is my point. There's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in these things. And it's not just with the coronavirus. It can be any number of different They're things. They're running that do this. out of masks in China. Yeah, and the, mas- is, and the mask producers are making a ton of money. But the point is that this is how much fear there is. Agreed. And so everything in this world is is pushed by emotion. Agreed. And that's where when you hear this is going to impact the economy, impact and I'm speaking the global economy yeah. and impact well, apparently the, the, the local economy, too. It may, right? yeah, and, and, and it impacts the markets. Mm-hmm. That's why we're getting phone calls. For sure. That's why listeners of this show are saying, well, what's it going to do to my portfolio? Right. And, and so I understand. When you compare it to the flu, it's, it's, I understand from a health perspective, one is more destructive than the other. And we could treat the flu the same way. It's, you could say that to, to, to stop the flu from spreading, you could enact the very same thing. You things. would shut down a city and prevent travel to a city because they have a flu there? Why not? It kills more people. It, but, it killed more people than But it's than not SARS. in one area. My point is you could do it. No, you can't do that, Dave. Why? You could stop the you spread of the flu. You get a flu, flu in Calgary. You're going to have a no-fly zone in Calgary? And it would stop. You wouldn't have 49 million people affected. You'd have less than that, and it would have less impact. But less impact on, on people getting sick, but a much bigger economic impact. But the flu has a vaccine. The of flu, which very few people take. But, but, the, but the flu also has of a which process very that, few people that take. the human body can take through it. Very few the, people. Are you saying that the, the flu, and I don't know this, but the yeah. flu is more of an impact, not the number of deaths, more of an impact than this coronavirus? No, I'm not. I'm saying it has, it has a much bigger human impact, the flu, by multiples. Yes, and a much but, smaller, but because but of the way we react to it. But it, but that's globally mm-hmm. you're talking about, and it doesn't spread from people traveling in the same way as the coronavirus it, does. It does spread, perhaps not quite as quick. I've, I've read tons of stuff. It might the coronavirus might spread quicker. It's less, according to the data, it's less impactful from a from a death perspective than SARS was. Right? Yeah, I think SARS... you, you can pick on any other disease out there saying that's a problem. But that was a coronavirus. A that was a coronavirus. And so this is this is the problem that it impacts. Uh, a, when you when you have a city shut down, when you have a no fly restriction, or when you have those types of things, that just propels the fear. No, so and so, so I understand what you're saying right. is that the flu right. kills more people. Well, we can start going down the path of other things that kill more people than the flu. So we should. That doesn't mean it's going to impact the economy. So I think we need to take a step back and say, yes, your argument is is valid. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that we're reacting to the coronavirus, we'll have a much bigger bigger global economic And people need to put that as one of the items on their list of risks to worry about in 2020. Does that make sense? Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So if they're, you know, if they're successful and they, and they, uh, they can contain it quickly because it's been a very aggressive response, very different than SARS. Okay, then this will be a very short-term blip. Now, we don't know that yet. Time so, will tell. That's right. You've got to monitor it Time day by tell. day. right? But the emotional reaction to it, whether it's this or something else, 
is constantly there, and people are get you, you know, people get exhausted, um, and that, that's part of my my thesis. I don't think people get exhausted. I think people I just feed off this this whole. Now it's this it's Iran, then it's coronavirus. Fear, though, right? But that's that they don't. I don't think they're exhausted. I have yet to meet someone that says I'm just exhausted. I talk to people all really? the time. Really, all the time. Maybe that's because I'm the risk guy on the team. Yeah, all I'm maybe. telling you all the time. People maybe. are terrified. Yeah. Okay. Terrified. Yeah. Terrified last year. Ter- I'm just constant, right? Yeah. So it, yeah, uh, you're there's the something fear to be, guy. That's well, there's something problem. to be to be learned. Yeah. I mean, I I do. And you're lay scary awake. looking too. So I guess that's why <laughs> I like I lay awake <laughs> thinking about things that go bump for sure in the night. But yeah. But uh, I'm it, more an aggressive growth guy. So to me, I I'm more optimistic. Yeah. I see the things that the opportunities versus the the only the drawbacks. So I'm. Yeah, I guess that's, that could be the reason. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we do have a cool show because we got to make some sense of all this, right? So that's the risk today, whatever the case may be. And we, got, we have to figure out a little bit about what happened in 2019. Um, and what does that mean for 2020? What's carried forward into 2020 and that in additional risk? What, how do we position ourselves in 2020? Next two segments, we're going to do that with Miles. But before we do that, let's remind everybody of our upcoming seminar in February. That'll be on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. How do the chief investment strategists of the world see uh, 2020 shaping up? Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, lots of people, I think, were surprised by 2019. What happened? The, the, you know, the global economic situation actually slowed. You had these rallies in the equity markets. Yeah. Right? People, investors, general investors, people we talked to, confused about what was going on. Well, I think it's more the investment community was surprised. True. The average investor was just happy. Okay. That's a fair way to say it. I don't think the average right. investor... Confused but happy. You're right. They, they were just happy. I don't yeah. think they were like, well, the economy's not going the way it should be, so why is the stock going up? They're just like, okay, this is great. Let's just take it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, actually. It's, it's like yeah, extra, you're right. It's probably the investment guys were Extra going, potato hey, chips at the right. Super Bowl. No one's going to question why. They're just going to take it, right? Yeah, like, yeah fair uh, enough. <laughs> so. good, good point. Okay. So let's... Um, uh, I want to explore a little bit about 2019 and sort of how the year set up and how it progressed and where some of those surprises came from. But more importantly, then, we want to talk about 2020. So yep. given, given what happened in 2019, does any of that carry forward? What should we expect looking forward since it's the beginning of the year? Now, we've got a regular recurring guest uh, joining us today to help us understand all of that, Miles Zyblock. He's the Chief Investment Strategist at Dynamic Funds. Miles, welcome back to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Great to be here. Well, let's start with this 2019 uh, uh, and how it shaped up. Uh, I think Faisal said it great. People were very happy about it. Um, not sure they question why when things are real happy. So fair point. Maybe they're not <laughs> confused, just happy. But maybe give us a sense, Miles, from your perspective, take you right back to the beginning of, of 2019 and kind of what your thinking was uh, economically, how the year was shaping up. And then just walk us through the year, how it turned out and, and where some of those surprises, if there were any for you, came up. Yeah, I mean, look, as you guys have said, 2019 was a very good year for investors. It was, uh, you know, not uh, quite that uh, good of a year reflected in in the economy. You had, you know, you had U.S. equity markets up close to 30%. Europe was up 
something like 20 plus percent and and the emerging markets which were the real laggards last year they were still up though they were up like 18 percent but you know it wasn't just equity investors who who did well last year i mean if you were in fixed income uh whether it was you know government bonds or 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 corporate bonds i mean you were up between six and ten percent so uh you know you could throw a dart into the uh asset pool last year and, and hit a winner basically and and you know that that seemed to be a little at odds with with the fundamentals in in essence, uh, you know, you had uh, weak corporate earnings growth, weak softening uh, global economic activity, which was translating into weak, weak corporate earnings growth. And in fact, global earnings were down last year about about six percent or, or a little more than that. Um, and and the funny thing is, is you had weak corporate fundamentals, and yet you had strong markets. And the year before, you had strong earnings growth and and not so strong markets. So you know, in, investing is is a tricky game at, at at points, and I think one of the things, one of the big surprises last year, for at least for investors, was the fact that uh, central banks everywhere from Uganda to, to the United States were were lowering interest rates, and and you know equity investors when they see lower interest rates, that means lower cost of capital and and potentially uh, higher valuations in markets, and and that's that's kind of what was really I think driving markets last year. You also you know, by the fourth quarter, you had some good news coming out uh, with respect to uh, the UK and the Brexit situation, uh, where uh, the the majority government in the UK gives them uh, at least at least hopefully a little more clarity on how they're going to proceed uh, by removing themselves from the European Union, and then uh, trade. I mean, we we heard I think it was in uh, September. Uh, if I recall, where uh, trade between the trade frictions between the U.S. and China moderated uh, quite a bit with this so-called Phase One deal. So you know you had uh, some good some good geopolitical developments, and you had some very very encouraging uh, rate cuts for equity markets, and I think that's what powered uh, the most asset classes, but particularly the equity markets forward in 2019. So, so when you look back at 2019, there were certain things that caught my attention, at least. Manufacturing was slowing down. Um, there were still some signs that things were not going well, although the markets did well. Were there parts of the market that didn't do well? Because I'm, I'm looking back and I'm thinking the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies uh, in the United States uh, on that index, it was primarily the technology companies that pushed that market up. It wasn't, I don't think it was anything else. Well, by, by by definition, you know, you, you have a market cap weighted index, uh, which weights the, the the stocks according to to their size, and and if those stocks are doing well, they're going to count for most of the gains. But but you're right. I mean, look, there was there was some concentrated leadership in technology, um, uh, but but at the same time, you had some some decent performance coming out of some of the interest sensitive sectors like uh, real estate, uh, which were benefiting from you know declining or very low. Uh, interest rates. So, you know, there was more places to go than technology, but but you are correct to say that, you know, technology has been uh, a big uh, reason behind the performance in these global equity markets over the past year, actually over the past year, over the past several years now. Uh, it looks like the big are getting bigger and uh, more concentrated, and they're preserving their monopolistic, or let's call it not monopolistic, 
although Google almost has a monopoly in certain areas. But uh, they're preserving their, their pricing power and their margins because of their market power. So, yeah, this is sort of, you know, this, this tune keeps on playing where, where these companies are still very highly profitable and, and they're putting up good numbers. I mean, you, you, I mean, we just saw Amazon. Yeah, I think their earnings were out yesterday and, and same, same story goes there. So, Miles, and you know, part of the theme, uh, which I think you've alluded to, is is we had a price earnings multiple expansion, particularly in the United States, but globally, uh, you know, pushing prices up. So it wasn't an earnings story that necessarily pushed valuations up. It was you know this multiple expansion that took care of it. So let's talk a little bit about what corporate earnings looked like uh, last year, and then maybe we'll start to transition into you know what carries forward into twenty twenty. Yeah, so so in in 2019, I mean, corporate earnings were definitely under pressure. Part, I, I think, a large part of that was associated with trade frictions and and the business uncertainty there. So you had very sluggish capital spending as a result of trade uncertainty. Uh, you you know, world export growth or world trade growth was starting to contract, and because you know, when you look at at trade, 80 percent of trade is manufactured goods. Uh, so you know, you had some some struggles in the manufacturing sector, and all this sort of added up to put some downward pressure, upward pressure on, uh, on uh, sorry, downward pressure on, on on corporate earnings growth. And, and like I said earlier, that corporate earnings growth was was quite dis- disappointing last year. I mean, we're down six or seven percent uh, in terms of of growth rates. So that was, um, you know, I think a lot of that was tied to literally tied to the trade frictions. Miles, we we also saw commodities take off last year. And we saw, and it was pretty much that gold did well. Mm-hmm. All the uh, a lot of the commodities, if not all yep. of them, did well last year. So it wasn't only an earnings conversation. Yep. It wasn't only you know a, a shift because of the central bankers. We saw commodities, and usually, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Miles. When the economy is moving forward, or when the stock market is moving forward, gold generally doesn't do the same thing. And so, what, what did you what did you find out from the, the commodity side, or what was your um, surprise out of the commodity side last year? Well, I mean, I, I think you know, well, my my big surprise was palladium. <laughs> I don't think, you know, when you're talking about commodities, that, that metal was up. I mean, it's huge. Uh, it, you know, it, it put gold to shame. But but you're right. You don't often see gold rallying strongly at the same time you see things like energy. But but to be honest, you know, the the moves in in let's call it energy were were very sporadic, and you know it wasn't like a consistent gain in in, in oil prices. They came out uh, came out hot uh, starting last year, uh, and then kind of tracked sideways in a volatile range for most of the rest of the year. So if you look at the annual gains in WTI, uh, those were pretty much front end loaded, and that was you know uh, maybe the result of of uh, something overdone in the prior year. So you know. Admittedly, though, commodities were starting to behave as if, you know, perhaps we're getting sort of a leveling off in the U.S. dollar, which which usually, you know, if you get a leveling off or a bit of weakening, that usually is supportive for the commodity prices. Maybe, you know, the commodities were also thinking, well, you know, if we get through this year with a little bit more policy stimulus, growth is going to be a little better, which is good for commodity demand. Uh, so I think that was what was going on. I mean, gold uh, behaved pretty well throughout the year, and, and, and I think, you know, to be honest, that was just a lot of global investors saying, okay, we might be getting a little bit better 
better tone to growth, uh, a little more policy stimulus coming. Uh, but, you know, we're not so sure about that. So we're going to hedge a little bit at the same time. So it was almost like a barbelled approach where, you know, you buy some pro-growth assets uh, like, you know, copper and, 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 and oil. But at the same time, you hedge a little bit by uh, adding a little bit to your gold positions. But because, you know, it, it all it, with hindsight, it all looks clear. But as you go through time, it's not as clear for investors. And, you know, there's still for most of the year, there still were concerns about things like Brexit and trade. Miles, we're going to have to take a quick break, um, so stick around for a moment. And um, uh, But before we do that, we've got to remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Yeah, so it was a surprising year in 2019 with the growth that they had in the markets, in every market. And so how do you how do you manage your portfolio and your retirement when it's not going to be like that every single year? How the volatility, how do you get income for the rest of your life, so on and so forth. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. At the Carriage House Inn, you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Okay, stick around after the break uh, if you're interested to know what 2020 and how it's shaping up and how you should be invested. Uh, we'll be joined back by, uh, by Miles at that time. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. So we talked a little bit about how 29 shaped up. Uh, we, of course, joined uh, last segment with Miles, or from uh, Miles Iblock, who's the chief investment strategist at Dynamic Funds. The fun part now is what the heck is going to happen in 2020? So what's carrying mm-hmm. forward into 2020, uh, and how is this going to shape up from an investment uh, perspective? Miles, welcome back. Hey, good to be back. Okay, so you did a pretty good job, I think, of making some sense of what happened in 2019. Um, let's just open it up right now, um, sort of broad, open-ended question. What can we expect? What are the broad themes that you expect to see in 2020 from an investment perspective? So from an investment perspective, I think that, you know, uh, w- when you have, uh, I, let's call it some calming down in the, tr- in the trade situation and in terms of geopolitical uncertainty, that allows policy that has entered this or policy stimulus that's entered the system to work more effectively and in fact you know that's that's interest rate cuts and there are is some uh, larger fiscal programs being announced all over the world as well uh, and so that you know that when that uncertainty moderates it allows that stimulus to work more effectively and what we were seeing uh, as we entered you know ended late last year and started into 2020 we saw the reaction from the economy from that stimulus, you know, we saw it in the markets earlier, but the reaction from the economy. So you started to see leading economic indicators uh, everywhere from China, Japan, Europe, and the U.S. starting to all turn up at the same time. So what that was telling you is that this stimulus is now, uh, and the the waning uncertainty is now starting to have a positive impact on, on economic activity. And what that should translate into is a better tone to earnings. So before it was more, you know, about hopeful earnings. And now I think, You'll see some of those those better earnings come through, and and when you not saying that you know you can't get corrections in stock markets with improving earnings, but the point is is that uh, as earnings rise, that that lifts the floor under stock prices, so that's that's a good thing. So corrections hopefully should become a little bit more shallow as we go forward with with fundamental support. Now, obviously, uh, we're all uh, talking right now about the coronavirus outbreak, and that's that's a new sort of risk into the system. Uh, and and we're only like a week, 
maybe 10 days into this in terms of really getting a bet, trying to get a better understanding about how this may impact uh, business activity, tourism, retail spending, uh, trade. Uh, so that's something we have to monitor right now. And, you know, there's always these types of uncertainties that linger over markets and that, and that can cause corrections uh, from time to time. But we, again, we will have to assess how this is impacting not only, uh, you know, the markets themselves, but economic activity around the world. So you mentioned coronavirus, which is one of the, the key, one risk that's out there. When you look down the list of things that could really go wrong, and I'm asking this question because I get a lot of listeners call me and say, I've read a newsletter, somebody on a show told me that there's so many things happening that can go wrong that I should like, you know, hide my money. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so we are getting that fear mongering going out there. So when you look down the list of risks that you, that you have, what are they? So, I mean, the, the first one we started off with was the, 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 the viral impact on economic activity, and, and, and that's something we're still tracking. I mean, we're tracking it daily, and, and, and we are trying to manage the risks accordingly. But I think, you know, taking a step back from this, uh, we're also uh, focused on uh, some, some what I call uh, unfinished business with respect to trade uh, between the U.S. and China. Like I said, the Phase 1 deal was signed uh, late last year, uh, but I think there's a lot more to go. Uh, between these two nations to come to some agreement. I mean, there's a lot outstanding with respect to intellectual property protection. And uh, so, you know, that could go backwards on us, um, uh, which would be um, not good. Uh, we also have uh, late this year the, the U.S. presidential election, as we all know, and we know that, you know, there are some Democratic uh, p- uh, proposals out there uh, that may not be as business-friendly uh, to markets as, as, as we would like, for example, with respect to areas including healthcare and energy. So I think, you know, the virus that we're living in right now, and we're monitoring that, trade and and the U.S. Uh, elections, I think those are the three big ones uh, to keep your, your eyes out for. I've got a, so go just a quick question. Sorry, do you have more questions about the risks no, there? I, I'm interested in, in sort of translating this, Miles, sort of taking the risks and we look at the different asset classes and how they're shaping up for, uh, you know, for 2020. And maybe just at a high level, you can walk us through and give us your thoughts about, you know, given the environment, the way it's setting up today, what we think uh, equities, how they might perform in this environment, uh, how bonds might perform in this environment. Just give us a sense of the asset class uh, performance. So, you know, the first thing I, I, I always say, it doesn't matter if it's uh, 2020, 2016, or 2026, uh, you know, it, it's really critical to think about uh, a good diversification plan for, for a portfolio. And, and the simple fact is diversification is really an acknowledgement that there is uncertainty out there. So you hold different asset classes that behave differently through different economic and market conditions under the assumption that you don't know the future with certainty. So let's start off with saying that I don't care, you know, sort of what we think the risks are next year, what we have to do, what we do care about is how do we build a portfolio to be robust to different types of risks, and that's diversification. So, you know, for me, look, I I think the equity market, if we get through this this first bit here with the coronavirus, I think we're setting up for a pretty good year. Uh, You know, I know we had a big year last year, but following a big year doesn't necessarily mean you're down. In fact, we looked at all years back to the 1800s when you've had a 20-plus percent up year in the equity market, the next year was up about 10% or 11%. So, you know, I think we're setting up for a decent year 
as long as this this virus thing doesn't doesn't get out of hand. Um, so so that's all I'm saying about that. I think you know interest rates are locked in a, in a very low sort of uh, a low world. There's no real inflation pressures uh, that the central banks are worried about. So interest rates are going to stay low, I guess, for another year. Uh, so you have um, you have that to contend with. And so if you're looking for, for example, thinking about building uh, a low, you know, thinking about I'd be happy with say low low single digit returns for my portfolio, but consistently, um, you know that effectively to me when someone says that it means that you have a relatively low allocation to equities because most of anyone's portfolio portfolio variability comes from their exposure to equities. Not only their their portfolio variability, but their their big returns comes from equities. So look, if you're looking for lowish single returns, it usually means you have a relatively low exposure to equities, say 30% to equities, 70% to fixed income. And so what what might that mean? Well, in a typical year, you get like a 13% correction in the equity market. That's a typical year uh, 13% correction. Last year, we had a 7% correction in a good year. It was still 7% correction. The year before, we had a 19% correction. Uh, so typically, it's about a 13% correction. If you have a 30% exposure to a 13% correction, you're looking at your portfolio to be down about, let's say, 4%. That's what you have to deal with when you have a low single-digit return kind of portfolio you've constructed. Now, if you're talking about high single-digit returns, that means you have literally more exposure to equities. Uh, so let's call that 50% exposure to equities and 50% to fixed income. So that 13% exposure means your portfolio could be down about 7%. That's something to think about if you get the typical correction. Uh, so these are the things you always got to be thinking about uh, in terms of building a portfolio, diversification, and how much exposure to equities, because equities are, are your primary return generators, but they're also the, the, you know, the asset classes that give you the most variability. And I think that Understanding that and setting your expectations accordingly allows you to stick to your program uh, when these sort of unexpected events happen, like these corrections. I think we've been spoiled, Dave, in the, in in recent years, where even though we've seen thirteen or nineteen percent volatility, it bounced back pretty quick, mm -hmm. and so that people are like, "Well, I can take that volatility because it's going to bounce back." Sometimes it doesn't. Miles, how, you know, in your research, you've seen that when you go down, you can go down for a while. And, and so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no, no. That's absolutely. I didn't. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, there are corrections which are happen pretty much often in the market. Let's say corrections happen often, and they are uncomfortable. They typically don't last long. But yes, there are periods of time where you can get you know forty plus percent downside in equity markets. And they're not all that uncommon either, by the way, and they can last for you know twelve to eighteen months uh, and put you underwater for the next several years. Perfect example, obviously, was you know 2007, 2008, or 2001, 2002, where you were down 50%, and and you know over those 12, 18, 24 month periods, and those are typically associated with economic recession. The ones that are you know extended, not only in terms of their 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 duration, but also their deep, those tend to be associated with economic recession. We've seen that you know all the way back to the 70s, 60s, 50s, etc., 1950s. Um, so what, what you're really thinking about is that, you know, if we are still a ways away from economic recession, um, you shouldn't be too worried about this stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, my sense right now is that is that recession really isn't on our doorstep at this stage. Uh, so you, you don't want to be you know, you don't want to change your strategic plan too much. Um, 
but but absolutely, there's an acknowledgement there that that equity markets they are volatile beasts and they can go down hard and they can go down for a long period of time. So that's just something people have to be expect. You know, I said typically in a year you're down 13%. That's like a typical sort of short-term correction that lasts a couple of weeks or a few months and then you dig your way out of it. But there are these larger scale problems that can happen from time to time in equity markets. And again, that's just part and parcel of being an equity investor. Miles, we've got to leave it there. Uh, I think you did a pretty good job of um, sort of taking us through what it uh, what it looks like and how to position, right, to protect yourself and control the volatility through that. So I want to thank you again for joining us. We always appreciate your time. It was my pleasure, guys. Have a great one. All right. We've been joined by Miles Zyblock, who's a chief investment strategist at Dynamic Funds. We've got to make some sense of this and put this into a long-term strategy so that people can support their lifestyles. We're going to do that. 13% swings, 19% drops, up to 40 50% downside in the markets. And you have to be willing to handle that for years, potentially. In those types of volatile times, how do you profit and protect in the markets? And how do you make sure your income lasts throughout your retirement? We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Okay, join us after the break. Um, This decade, Canada retires. If you're in that group, how are you going to fund that retirement for the rest of your life? Stick around. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. I thought that was a good good couple of segments to try to get our head around what 2020 uh, looks like going forward. Yeah. Okay. Um, However. And how much risk you have to take. Well, yeah, I think that's really important, right? Um, Return in the absence of risk is always fun. But risk can be a problem. Okay, more than 5 million Canadians are set to turn 65 this decade. In fact, all but those born in 1965, all the baby boomers retire this year. Canada is retiring they turn oh, sorry, 65. this decade. They turn 65. They right. don't retire. Fair. They, they turn 65. Okay. And so now, for some reason in this country, mm-hmm. when the number 65 comes up, Retirement, w- retirement comes, comes right. up. The word retirement. How come you're not retired? Right. Why are you going to plan for your retirement? Okay, so now let's talk about all those people over the next 10 years that are going to be facing retirement or the, the thought of retirement. Right. What are you set up for? What are you, what are you in, in, in... What environment are you coming yeah. walking into? So let's start off with where we are in the world today okay. versus where their parents were when they were... 65 years of age. Okay. Okay, number one. Your your father, mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. my parents, when they were 65, what was life expectancy? Well, my dad made it to just shy of 73, so I it was probably high 70s for high males. High 70 maybe, for men? Maybe just under 80 for women. Okay, and that's, maybe. that's now gotten better. Yeah, In yeah, fact, yeah. I just did the report this week that if you are male and 65 years of age, you have, on average, mm-hmm. a life expectancy of another 20 years. For women, it's another 22 years. Okay, that's today. So mid to late 80s now. Okay. So now we're living longer. Yeah. And the, over the next decade, healthcare and the technology behind it yeah. will keep people living longer. Right. I'm not saying quality of life. I'm just saying number of years on earth. Okay. So there's problem number one. You need to have enough money to last year of your lifetime and... I, I really shake my head when someone says to me, oh, I'm only, only going to live to 80. 
Yeah, we hear that actually a lot. It's amazing how I'm going at eighty. How, Faisal. Yeah, how much people underestimate? And then I say, the then spend all your money by the time you're seventy nine. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, what if what if what if I live to eighty one? Well, that's what we're just trying to tell you here. <laughs> right. What if you live to ninety five? Right. Probability of one person, if a happy mm-hmm. couple, mm-hmm. a healthy couple, sorry, yeah. a healthy couple, yeah, he reached age sixty five. Probably one and the same. Happy, happy and, and healthy. healthy. Yeah. Sure. So if they if a couple lives to the age of sixty five, thirty three percent chance one of them will live to ninety five. Correct. Okay. So longevity is here. Right. New problem. Not your parents' problem. Right. Okay. You're turning 65. Your parents had a, had a nice situation. When they oh, retired. Right. And they put their, let's make up a number, million dollars. What was the interest rate market like? Well, it was a lot higher than it is today. Hell yeah. And it was, it was almost double digits. Right. So you could have a million bucks. Let's make up a number. Mm-hmm. 9%. You make $90,000 in income. And never see any volatility. Hallelujah! Right, I'm a winner. Right, I don't live as long. Right, but I've got security. I can in my fund money. it. Absolutely. Yep. And that community or that demographic at that time went through some very, very different economic times, and they were they had the discipline of not spending everything they had. Fast forward now to the boomers. Mm-hmm. These individuals turning 65 this decade have a longevity issue. They have lower interest rates, which mean you can't rely on guaranteed investments or savings accounts to fund your retirement like your parents could, Mm -hmm. which means you are forced to take on risk. And fewer pensions, right? Fewer guaranteed sources of income. Yep. Right? Like pensions and whatnot. Correct. And Mm -hmm. this demographic, generally speaking... Mm -hmm are known for being spenders. They are lifestylers. They're experience. They're experience-oriented people. That's right. And they want to enjoy their time. Mm -hmm. So they spend more than their parents did. They're making less interest than their parents did. And they're living longer than their parents did. Do you see the problem? (laughs) I do. And so... This is the issue that just came out now because voila, we're here. Let me throw one in there. There is going to be higher costs for this demographic over the next 10, 20, 30 years because of health care. Right. And the only way at this point in time where we fund our health care and the services that the population deem that they are, necess- are necessities right. is through a taxation system. Do you think taxes are going down over the next 10, 20, 30 years, Dave? No. Okay. Let's add that onto the problem now. So higher taxes for the largest demographic in this country, which has the most amount of wealth, which likes to spend all their money, and they're living longer in low interest rates. Oh, my God. Retirement's different than what my industry has thought of in the past, Mm -hmm. what every industry has thought of in the past. This is the biggest demographic out there. And it's going to have a rippling effect on everything. Well, it's a demographic that has changed everything throughout the, the course of its life. And there's no reason to believe that it's not going to change what our vision of retirement is and some of the risks associated with it. Opportunities as well. They're the wealthiest demographic that's ever existed. But plan the least. Right. They plan the least amount. They, don't, they do not have a financial plan. We've already gone through this in previous shows. Most people... Turning 65 or whatever, do not have a... a, Most of them don't even have wills. Right. Powers of... Most don't even know how much they pay in taxes. Like, they are not prepared for retirement like they think they are. Right. 
And this is going to be a big – this is why you and I folk, dedicate our entire business right. on people approaching to a living in retirement because they need the help. Well, and this is a decade ago. You could see this coming from a mile away. Well, we did. Right. We did. Right. But most of the people don't. Most companies don't market to this demographic. They're the wealthiest in the country. Right. So people haven't figured it out yet, Dave. Yeah. Every year we bring in professionals in the healthcare industry to say, what are you planning for this issue that's coming up in the next 10 years? Right. We're studying it. We're studying it. We're having a committee, but we have no action plan at this point in time. Acute care. Get ready. Over the next 10 to 20 years, that's going to be the number one debatable topic on every election platform, I believe. Well, it's coming. And there's no question it's coming. And particularly because... I'm going to say it again. Canada's retiring. You're right. 65 doesn't necessarily mean retirement. That's what, how people think about it. That's a traditional yep. retirement. And you think about and it. And it is going to become a huge topic. It's, all, it's, it's going to be a big problem. Okay. Uh, so you need to plan yourself. We, you need to plan. That's, that's right. You need a strategy. Tie it plan. all together. So let's, let's do that. Let's tie it together because we think that health is an asset class. Correct. Right? Taxes are something that have to be planned for. Income and how you receive that yes. right, has to be planned for. Let's talk about that at our seminar. Yeah, that's going to be on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. You know, I enjoyed our seminar that we had in January, kicking off, uh, kicking off the new year. I got the sense by the kinds of questions we had, there was a lot of interest in in what you've just said. I got to get a plan together. It's not just hope anymore. Right? Yeah. I'm getting it's becoming real, and that's I what this data. That's what this data says. It's becoming guess. real. Yeah. Okay. On that note, thanks for tuning into another edition of More Than Money. You're here on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.